Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today, I have Franco Verona on the podcast. He is the managing partner of Foxmont Capital Partners. They are a fast emerging VC firm here in the Philippines. They're very much Philippine-centric. They're Philippine-founded and Philippine-funded, and they're really focusing on bringing out the best of Philippine startup startups and also the ecosystem. They're really proactive in the market, and of course, you'll hear from the conversation that they know a lot about the market, and they're also investing a lot into the market to make sure that it is successful. It's really good to get Franco onto the show to discuss other, other aspects of the Philippine ecosystem, and of course, the startup and tech part of the ecosystem is so critical now to any sort of economy and ecosystem. And it's good to see that there are a lot of similarities to the Philippines, to the rest of the world and the US, for example. So it's a great conversation with Franco. All of the links that we mention, and of course, his contact details are in the show notes. Uh, so if you want any of those, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start or somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 outsourcing firms, representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish inside outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. Franco, welcome to the show. How are you? Very well, Derek. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me today. Absolute pleasure. And Franco, this is the first time ever we've actually had to retake this podcast, the, the file corrupted, which is incredibly embarrassing. So I'm awfully grateful for you returning and uh, redoing this conversation. It was a fantastic conversation last time. It's, it's a shame that people yeah. can't, can't hear it, but uh, hopefully we can recreate that magic. No, that's okay. I mean, uh, all those secrets I shared with you in the, the previous one, I guess we'll just have to save for another time, right? <laughs> They're sealed. No one will hear them. So maybe, uh, Franco, initially just introduce your kind self and, and Foxmont and what you do in the Philippine scene. Sure. Um, my name is Franco Verona. I am the managing partner of Foxmont Capital Partners. 
um, which is an early stage country focused venture capital firm in the Philippines. Um, oh, sorry, I should add an independent early stage venture capital firm in the Philippines. So we work um, at the seed stage level primarily um, and invest in great founders with great ideas that are looking to solve Filipino problems. Nice. And VCs are now a dime a dozen, and I'm going to sort of continue, I suppose, refer back to the US and Silicon Valley. You know, maybe that's not a good thing, but just as a kind of boilerplate. But, uh, you know, they're dime a dozen now in the US, yet the market in the Philippines and Southeast Asia is quite different. Do you want to just sort of paint the picture of kind of the VC market, the startup market across Southeast Asia? And it's it's not quite reached maturity yet, has it? No, and, and and actually, I think it's it's very different from what you see in other parts of the world. Um, and, and a lot of that comes, sorry, maybe I should say, uh, it's very different from a lot of things that you see in the Western world. Mm. Um, and a lot of that is actually because, um, you know, people look at Southeast Asia and they think of it as just one, you know, one area with, you know, hundreds of millions, potentially billions of you know, Asian people. But of course, that's very different from what's the reality on the ground. We have a variety of different cultures. We have a variety of different languages. And we just generally approach life differently. And we have a variety of, we've all developed in different ways, Southeast Asia, right? We have some countries that are basically fully developed countries, like, like Singapore. And we have some that are still developing. Many of them are still developing, but at different levels. But what that actually means is that you can't have one specific investment strategy for the region, right? Um, in the Western world, in, in, in the US, in Europe, um, venture capital generally tries to find a moonshot idea, you know, brand new IP that could potentially change the world um, or make a person's life just easier, a consumer's life just easier, right? Um, but in, in Southeast Asia, actually, venture capital has a very different character. So, one, you have some, granted, some venture capital firms that do want to focus on, on new ideas. And, and they'll do so. And you'll actually see that oftentimes they fund like Singaporeans or, or you know, Hong Kong Chinese or Chinese. Um, because the strength of their academia is very strong for IP. However, there's a separate layer there. Um, where you have country-focused venture capital firms. Um, and for me, as, as one here in the Philippines, I see that very differently from, from actually looking for new IP, you know, new ideas from the Philippines. So yes, I believe that we can come out with new ideas in the Philippines. Um, however, I think that the most pressing and urgent issue in, in a place, in a developing nation like this country, is actually to look for Filipino solutions for Filipino problems. That doesn't necessarily mean looking to, um, that doesn't necessarily mean looking to, uh, um, you know, for brand new ideas, but more looking for resilient founders that are willing to tackle very domestic problems like infrastructure, crappy internet, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that we deal with. Um, and I think that that's a second layer of venture capital that actually winds up playing a, a very interesting role because we then become a support system for our founders and our portfolio companies. But on the other side of it, for larger funds, we become the filter. We help find the great, great companies 
in each country and present them actually to our That's a really people. important role actually, isn't it? When you get credibility, it by default gives easier access and credibility to the country which gives then all of your investments credibility and it creates this fast track for the sort of the, the higher level funding streams. Yeah. That's right. You know, um, I looked at, you know, I looked at the ecosystem in, you know, 20, let's say 2017, 2018. Um, and I realized that, you know, Filipino startups were really struggling to find funding from, from let's say Singapore, from the larger um, venture capital firms out there. And, and I couldn't understand why. I didn't understand why Indonesia, for example, had five unicorns, um, you know, had a thriving ecosystem, um, and, and seemingly their startups were able to raise money so easily from not only, you know, uh, uh, Singaporean firms, but even like American firms. And actually what I realized was that Indonesia's ecosystem really did start with those, you know, early stage venture capital firms about 10 years before we did in the Philippines, right? And, and when I say that, I mean like, like East Ventures or Kajora Ventures or Alpha JWC Ventures, these very Indonesia-specific early stage funds. What happened and, to Indonesia early on that made it that, that fertile ground, do you think? Because it's, I mean, it's a massive country and I think the world sees yeah. it as like the, the test bed for Asia. It's got, you know, over 250 million people. And as you say, there's, there's a hot startup community and good VC yeah. funding there, but it has, but also it's a very difficult country to, to launch in because you're dealing with a huge variety of languages and even sort of religion and cultures and things like that. Why do you think, why did it become that starting point? That's exactly, I'm, I'm telling you, that's exactly it. It's, it's exactly the, the emergence of these early stage venture, country-focused venture capital firms in Indonesia, right? So in 2009, that's when East Ventures um, was formed, right? Or 2010. Um, and soon after the four other, uh, basically they have five uh, country focused early stage venture capital firms in Indonesia. The first deal that East Ventures ever did, the first investment they ever made was into Tokopedia, right? Way back in 2011. And that to me was really the, the inflection point, like the, 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 you know, the big bang of Indonesia wherein there were two sides of the ecosystem that learned a very important lesson. On one side was, let's say, the startups that, there, that realized that they didn't have to go to Singapore anymore and try to prove themselves um, to potentially fund managers that may not understand the intricacies and challenges of a developing nation, right? On the other side, the venture capital firm, East Ventures, they realized they don't have to look outside for deals. They have deals to be found in, in Indonesia, right? They just need to find great founders um, that you know are resilient and strong and smart enough to face to, to face inherently Indonesian challenges. Because of course, the domestic market in Indonesia, as you rightly put, was you know like not thriving, but was 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 large enough to sustain you know investments two hundred twenty million people. Now, the Philippines never realized that we didn't. It took us ten years. It took us 10 years to realize that there needs to be a layer of independent country-focused venture capital here. And thankfully, thankfully, you know, Foxmont is, is that, right? We're playing that exact role where we are the ones that can actually, you know, take that early first bet that can help grow founders and portfolio companies to, a, to an acceptable level to provide that, 
that validation that perhaps the Singaporean funds need um, or, 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 or American funds or whatever they might be, that they need to build um, you know, trust into the Philippines itself, right? Indonesia had a 10-year head start. You know, East Ventures invested into um, uh, Tokopedia in 2011. They invested into Tokopedia in 2012. And then, of course, uh, Northstar Ventures invested into uh, Gojek in 2014. But after 2014, what you actually wind up seeing is that, like, 2015, Sequoia started investing in Indonesia, right? Like, these mm-hmm. large, like, you know, KKR, these super large blue chip companies. It took about three years for them to do that, right? And guess what? That's kind of what happened here in the Philippines. We cut our first check in 2018 as Foxmon. Okay, so, and three years later, look what's happening at the ecosystem today. You have these large blue chip investors coming in, right? I mean, just announced, Kumu, General Atlantic, right? Before that, Sequoia, Tonic Bank, Sequoia, Locat, Timasek, Grossari, right? Tencent, Grossari, you know, Warburg Pincus, Gcash. These are all blue chip investors that all of a sudden are like, hey, wait a minute. What's going on over there in that other country that has over 100 million people? <laughs> They're starting to creep in, isn't it? But it's like, come on, guys, like, surely someone should have seen that trend, you know? But I think it's yeah. there's this weird thing about emerging markets. You know, when, when I was a kid and my parents were investing, they would talk about investing in emerging markets and it would be like LATAM and Asia and, you know, and they're still emerging. And you would generally expect higher returns because of the higher risk and they're still emerging. And But it was always a story of, yep, they're still emerging, you know, and will they ever kind of emerge, you know, finish that completion? And I suppose that's what is hesitancy with uh, external investors is because it's just you know, is it going to get there? And then I suppose startups are risky enough in themselves, but when you put them on a framework of an emerging economy and less stability, and I suppose less stable forex and all that sort of stuff, it just mm-hmm. kind of tips it over the point of interest for these investors um, because the, the, they're dealing with sort of high risk, aren't they? Um, yeah, I, t- I totally agree. It is high risk. And, and of course, venture capital in and of itself is a high risk asset class. So when you when you compound the two, I guess it gets very scary for for foreign you know funders and foreign investors to look at the Philippines. Um, yeah, I but can imagine it. you would want to control all the externalities because starting a startup is hard enough in itself. And then if you have all these externalities, maybe it just turns exactly. people off. But you you know, I, I don't know if I'm biased towards the Philippines, but you just have to look at some of the fundamentals and you think, gosh, it's gotta it's gotta have a few unicorns in it. You know, like it must be a good bet. Um, but Hell hopefully yeah. people are realizing that now. It's a great bet. And 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 you know I, I think the you know the pandemic as as horrible as it, it's been for the for the greater economy of the Philippines and for, of the world, let's be honest. Um, but but the one thing that the pandemic did was reveal and actually accelerate the rapid digitalization of the Philippines, right? I mean, I don't know of any other country in this region, over 100 million people, by the way, um, that went basically from straight analog in March 2020 to, to you know extremely digital in 2021. You know, eight, a short 18 months later, all of a sudden, everybody's extremely digital. 
right? I mean, if you look at the Philippines from that context, where even me, myself, I was, you know, paying bills over the counter, going to the ATM, pulling out cash and paying bills over the counter right before we all went into lockdown to what it is today with Gcash, of course, you know, processing, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in, 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 in transactions on a daily basis, um, or potentially, I think it's even billions of dollars at this point. Um, it, it shows, right, that this country all of a sudden goes from like, you know, backwater, you know, eh, when are they going to turn a corner to like, holy crap, you know, the Philippines spends 10, you know, the average Filipino spends 10 hours per day on the internet, four and a half of which are online, uh, sorry, on uh, on social media, you know, holy yeah. moly, like like 138% mobile connections per person with the internet getting cheaper and faster on a daily basis. There's quite like, a dichotomy in the Philippines because it's um, a young population and they have huge adoption and early adoption of all of the social media platforms and high mobile penetration and stuff like that. Yet, as you say, the sort of the older school infrastructure is still stuck back in the 1970s and you've got to walk into a bank to pay with a check. And, you know, whereas the, the I suppose the consumer side of tech is very, has very high adoption, yet the kind of the, the infrastructure is still so old that hopefully the two can catch up. And I suppose that the benefit to being a late starter is that you can uh, leapfrog the technology, can't you? You know, it's easier to upgrade your technology if you're a bank, if you've waited yeah. for 40 years and let everyone else test it first. Well, that's right. And and just in general, the Filipino consumer has completely leapfrogged everything, right? Um, meaning to say that it's not like we all went, um, it's not like we all followed everybody else's trend where we started with like, you know, a crappy phone and then and then we all bought laptops and desktops and worked out of our laptops and desktops and then went to you know like extremely smart mobile phones um in the philippines everybody just went from you know smartphones to even better smartphones and now two smartphones per person um so mobile connections on a on a per capita basis is is very high in a place like the philippines in fact we're higher than indonesia indonesia's mobile connections on a per capita basis is only like 70% in the Philippines, we're at 138%, which actually means there's more mobile phones in this country um, than there are people. And actually, if you think about it on a on a just pure numbers, we probably have as many mobile phones in this country as Indonesia, given those percentages, right? Yeah. And I don't know if the, the English helps as well, because the Philippines is predominantly English. And the kids in the Philippines, they're growing up on a diet of YouTube and you know, whatever, English, Facebook and TikTok and all of the global kind of cultural inferences. And it's got to be powerful because it kind of sucks you up into that world. And then you just, you play in that world now as an equal and it's got to help the development. Whereas I suppose if if you have different languages, that, that's got to sort of add friction to that journey a little bit. Yeah, yeah I totally agree. And and that actually goes goes along well with, you know, investors, foreign investors, you know, um, thesis in a, in a place like the Philippines, because of course, portability is always going to be something that they look at. Right. Um, it, it maybe, maybe it's not like, maybe it's not highlighted in the way that, you know, investors look at deals, investors look at startups, but at the same time, if, if you can see high potential in its home market, um, and, 
this could potentially succeed in a similar market in the region, then you know it makes it a lot more interesting. And I think that that in and of itself um, is kind of like this undiscovered treasure <laughs> of, of 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 kind of Philippine startups, right? They say, you know, and it's hard. There's a chicken and egg thing in terms of why aren't there more startups and is it because of the ingenuity of the people or is it because there's not the funding available in VCs, you know, and it's hard to really point. But in the US, you know, there there was they attribute capitalism or success of it in the US because it's easy to go into bankruptcy. It's easy to quit your losses within a company structure. And they attribute a lot of capitalism to the fact that you can try you know you can try and fail and then restart and you know maybe there are these inflection points like that and maybe in the philippines you know it has never been what's well, there's a lot of friction to doing business in the philippines in terms of sort of bureaucracy but as well it's been very difficult to get finance the it is a very sort of undeveloped financial system generally the average people cannot get access to uh, debt and to bank finance. And so you're not going to be able to grow businesses. So maybe, you know, now that the VCs are entering, it can be that that essential lifeblood that can get this whole thing kickstarted. Yeah. Yeah. I really do believe that. And I think that people just have to subscribe to the idea that if a startup can succeed in the Philippines, it can really succeed anywhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? There is just such a, you know, there's just such a depth of challenges in you know, regulatory challenges, infrastructure challenges, uh, in a in a place like the Philippines, that that I think any outside investor can look here and 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 feel confident that if they can succeed in the Philippine landscape, that really they can go anywhere and 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 succeed. And it's highly portable as well, isn't it? Which I think is critical, as you you know, as you say, like. It is, it's by all intents and purposes, completely English speaking, and it's largely Western or American cultured. And so that is, that's invaluable if you're looking at kind of ever spinning out your startup globally, it it has to be an incredible attribute to the country. Well, that's right. That's true. Um, As an early stage investor, as Foxmon is though, you know, we do tell our, you know, we do advise our portfolio companies of which we have 25 now. we advise them to really focus in on the Philippines itself, right? Um, I think that there was a, a tendency in the past for a lot of Filipino startups to, you know, come up with their come up with their business here, gain a little bit of traction, but then go to a foreign market to try to win that foreign market um, immediately because of this, you know, this this ease of portability. Let's say. Um, however, you know, I, I do advise them nowadays, especially to, to basically subscribe to the idea that they should win their domestic market first, their home market first, um, before they do that. Right. Um, and another, and, and, and the reason for that is of course, you need to understand your home market. You need to understand the challenges within your home market before you, you know, throw yourself out there and, and, you know, deal with like, you know, foreign languages and foreign governments and foreign regulations and all that stuff. Um, and the Philippines in and of itself, again, is a you know just just yesterday right did you see that google um bain report about the philippines being the fastest growing internet economy in the region yeah 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 i saw that wasn't it like 40 million people added was that the philippines or? exact that's exactly right and and that's what i'm saying is that that's where we're at right the, the our domestic market in the philippines has arrived 
it mm. is in and of itself uh, a potential. If you win this market, you are, you are, you don't have to get away. A measure in the Philippines weird sometimes. Sometimes, oh, I better go abroad and like, you know, have foreigners know my name. But I always say, yo, win it here first. Win it in the Philippines. Win the hearts and minds of Filipinos. And, and you'll still have that measure of success that you're looking for. Yeah, I think that's critical advice for any startup. And I think VCs are too, too, too sort of eager to, to get this world domination thing. And you haven't even got your home market secured yet. And it's like most home markets, unless you're living in Guernsey Island or something, most home markets are big enough to really have a super impressive business before you have to look to other countries. Now, there is the argument that potentially if it's a huge company, then you have to go on this massive land grab and make sure you're the first there. But I think in most cases, you know, just focus on getting a strong foundation in one country first before you you spread out because the operational complexities of uh, launching multiple countries is, is enormous, isn't it? Sure, exactly. And and again, one just has to look towards Indonesia to, to see that, right? I mean, it's not like sitting from where we sit in Manila, it's not like Traveloka or Tokopedia or Gojek, you know, or Bukalapak have changed my life in any way, <laughs> right? Or, or yours or any Filipino's lives. In other words, those unicorns, all they did was capture their domestic market. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think it's overrated to get this world domination thing um, because, you know, until some people have an awareness of you in your own home market, you know, if, if you're if you're starting to become a household name, then maybe it's time to get out. But if if you're a few tens of millions or even hundreds of millions revenue, then I think there's still 10x or 100x you can go in one market before you expand. It's uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, exactly. And, 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 and again, you can start looking towards our own portfolio companies and the way that they've been growing and looking at their stories, right? I mean, Kumu, the live streaming company, um, of course, very famously just closed their Series C uh, this quarter. And, um, and, and listen, their whole message has always been about creating authentic connections between Filipinos, created by Filipinos for Filipinos. Um, if you think about their technology, it's extremely portable. They could do it all over the world if they wanted to, but all they did was focus on the Philippines and the Filipino diaspora. And, and they have been able to gain some serious momentum, not only with the consumer market, but with the foreign investment market. And I think yeah, that that's a great example, isn't it? It's like know your audience, isn't it? You know, don't, don't, don't spread too thin. Do you want to give us a bit of an overview then of the startup market from the startup side and, you know, of course, mention your, your investments uh, and, of course, then Kumu as well. Just, just I suppose, what is Kumu for those that aren't familiar with it? Sure. Uh, well, well uh, the, the banner uh, headline of Kumu, I would say, is that Kumu is, is, is amongst the Philippines' first grassroots startup champions. Um, and, and, okay, now I'll go into some details about that. Um, Kumu ostensibly is a live streaming app. Um, that basically allows for Filipino, well, any live streamer really, but of course focused on the Filipinos right now, Filipino live streamers to perform 
for oftentimes multiple hours at a time in front of their phone uh, to a wider audience. Um, and who is that wider audience? Well, a lot of the times it's Filipinos inside the Philippines, but you know they've also captured this incredibly interesting overseas foreign uh, 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 population of the Philippines, so over, overseas Filipino workers. Okay, so actually it, it, what's interesting about it is the revenue model is is virtual gifting, meaning to say that uh, if somebody is live streaming and performing, and somebody uh, the viewer is actually you know enjoying it and wants to help them out or give them a tip or, or something, they can actually buy a digital item on the app that's worth some money and deposit it, give it uh, over the app to this person in a public manner, right? So imagine this. Imagine a busker on the street playing a guitar, okay? That busker is the live streamer. Uh, imagine somebody passing by and liking what that busker is doing and singing and taking out a coin and, and, and tipping them. That coin is the virtual gift, okay? And now imagine that they're tipping them by putting it into a guitar case. That guitar case and the corresponding microphone is Kumu <laughs> in this case, right? So, 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 so Kumu has effectively digitized that whole experience of walking around, you know, looking for sources of entertainment, um, finding great entertainment, and 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 tipping people, you know, showing your appreciation um, by doing that. But the other thing that Kumu has done so amazingly is actually to uh, create, so again, he, they always say that they're trying to create authentic connections. And actually during this pandemic, when everybody was locked down or in the case of overseas Filipino workers locked away from home, it actually gave Filipinos abroad an opportunity to connect with Filipinos in the Philippines, right? And, and that's when we saw this great inflection point, this great, amazing, um, explosion of interest within Kumu itself. You know, when, when OFWs um, were, were, were missing home so much, they were logging in every night. And, you know, at, at some point, the average time on the app was something like two or three hours per day. That's almost as much, if not more than Facebook. Yeah, it's huge. Huh? It's done well. Yeah. Huh? And it's just yeah. going strength to strength. It's, uh, and again, that lifts the whole ecosystem doesn't it you know it, it gives yep. people you know it, it's almost like a sun it has its own gravitational force and then it brings in a lot more high caliber people it trains a lot more people and then other people can go off and start their own startups it creates a, right. an incredible ecosystem around it that's right i mean we can expect that um you know a lot of what we do now so that, so the rest of the ecosystem and how does that look means that, you know, for Foxmont, uh, we see a lot of founders that are from like Rocket Internet, for example, that came to the Philippines to help start, you know, Lazada or Zalora or Lamudi or, or any of these rocket funded companies. And, and, and so that first generation of founders that we see right now are either, you know, uh, Filipino Americans as, as the founders of Kumu are, that were educated abroad and are bringing back their education to the Philippines, or foreign born, you know, like, like Germans or, or Spaniards that were, you know, funded by Rocket to come and dominate the Philippine market. And now that they've left Rocket and their, their companies, they love the Philippines and they're looking for funding to build their own businesses. 
So for us, that's the first generation of entrepreneurs that we're actually investing in right now because they already know how to win the market. And they love the And Rocket is a Rocket's a well-known German tech fund, effectively. They they really came into strength maybe sort of 10, 15 years ago. They had a couple of wins on the board and then they got a ton of money and they basically tried to sort of replicate successful startups in one region and replicate it in another region. And it was it was super, super, I suppose, successful for a while, but then they didn't really make the hits that they had hoped. And it's kind of died away a little bit now, hasn't it? But it, it left this incredible sort of, there was an incredible force in the Philippines of all of these founders, co-founders, uh, locals and expats coming in. Uh, and as you say, there's now this sort of remnant force that comes from Rocket, a little bit like the PayPal mafia yeah. in Silicon Valley. It's 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 a brilliant yeah. thing, isn't it? And and actually, the, you know, Rocket Internet in Asia, like Malaysia, Indonesia, etc. I mean, you know, say what you want, and people have some very strong opinions about Rocket and their methods. And say what you want about it, and and even and even I did, you know, when I was you know when I was at Grab and actually directly competing with with Rocket Internet, uh, Easy Taxi. Um, say what you want about the aggressiveness. But the one thing that we value at Foxmont and as a, as a funder of entrepreneurs is that they really did send extremely smart, driven um, individuals to these different countries. Mm. And in many cases, that really taught the ecosystem how to perform, how to just aggressively attack it, go for your, you know, win your markets, win your industry, win your verticals. Yeah, um, and that yeah. was something that we never saw before in in the Philippines. It's invaluable, actually, isn't it? You need you need your role models, you need your mentors, and people people sort of do what they see. And that's right. Uh, it's going back to that point really quick. You know, the first generation is Rocket Internet and 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 Filipino American founders in 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 the startup ecosystem. But you had mentioned like the creation of these mafias. Well, that's what we believe is the next generation of founders in this country, right? Or in, in, in Southeast Asia in general, is actually people that graduate from the likes of Kumu, you know, people that graduate from the likes of, you know, these other fast growing startups, great deals, e-commerce is another great example of that in the Philippines that were educated domestically, that, you know, went through that whole, you know, intense fundraising round, learned how to scale a business extremely rapidly and are now, you know, motivated to build their own businesses. We believe that that's the second generation of entrepreneurs that will come out in the Philippines in the next one to two years, by the way. And that in and of itself creates a very robust ecosystem, right? Because now you're not drawing from foreign, you know, you're not drawing from like sea turtles or from rocket sea turtles being like, uh, like uh, Filipinos born abroad and now coming home, you know, um, or, or Rocket Internet, you know, those are not our only sources of entrepreneurs and founders. Now it can really be built domestically. And I think when that happens, that becomes a very robust ecosystem. And it takes time, doesn't it? You know, you say Indonesia has a 10-year head start and it really, a generation is really 10 years because it takes 10 years for a startup to really start and scale and potentially exit. And then, so you need kind of, you know, a couple of generations before you have that, the growth of the ecosystem, yeah, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and it's hard mm -hmm. to it's hard to, you can't really leapfrog that, can you? You need to put in those hard years of going from zero to one to two to four. Yeah, I mean for sure, you definitely need people that are that are you know that that go through that 
you know, and I, I don't necessarily know if it's 10 years, but it definitely, there definitely is time that is necessary to let that cook and settle um, for these founders to, 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 or these future founders to, 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 you know, to, to, to get beat up, to be honest with you, right. To get beat up in the ecosystem, to go through the, the incredibly tough challenges that they will inevitably have to go through in a place like the Philippines. But I want them to get beat up because by the time they decide to start their own businesses later on, they're going to be resilient. And that's the kind of resilience we need for, for success in this ecosystem. Yeah. And so what is the ecosystem like then? Like, how do you see the startups? Like it's, you know, it's sure. big, like anywhere in the world, it's now a big thing, isn't it? I think most kids in high school all want to be entrepreneurs and startup founders now. So there's certainly that momentum. I don't think that was here so much in Manila, in the Philippines, 10 to 15 years ago, you know. Um, oh, no, but I no. think now it is, isn't it? You know, kids are wanting to be startup tech founders. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think entrepreneurship in the Philippines is 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 getting to a different level um, of prominence, uh, definitely, and and is actually becoming a viable uh, path to success. Now, in the Philippines, you know, people say that Filipinos are entrepreneurial, but I think that might just be a misnomer um, in the past, right? So Filipinos are opportunistic, meaning to say that if there is a way to sell something or broker something, they will do it, right? They will look for a side gig. They'll they'll sell their you know. You know, parents' plot of land. They will, you know, they'll they'll sell, you know, some sort of service, you know, after hours after their your their main job is done, um, or they'll, you know, I don't know, they'll sell like something during lunch hour, right? It's all these different side gigs. People thought of that as being entrepreneurial, but in reality, that's just people, you know, um, again, being opportunistic with what they see. But my belief is that up until a certain point. Filipinos were actually very conservative and really did prefer to work in places like, you know, large conglomerates, FMCGs, BPOs, um, because it was the safe bet and it was a path to like a consistent meal on the table. Now, entrepreneurship, especially startup entrepreneurship, I think that that's really a new concept that's only really become, let's say, interesting for Filipinos in the last you know, three to four years, right? Before that, it was, I would say, Filipinos that could afford to be entrepreneurs. They had savings. They had some, some semblance of success in the past. They had maybe some family money to rely on. But that's changing now. You're getting entrepreneurs that are extremely smart, extremely resilient, see, see different challenges from a different segment of the economy and want to access it. And all they need is the capital. Now, entrepreneurship as a path to success, I believe, really has to start with the fact that they need access to capital. <laughs> and thankfully, access to capital is becoming more and more an option in the Philippines. Starts with Foxmont, I would say, right? We like to think of ourselves as very accessible and we like to you know, be very optimistic at, in terms of what the founders you know, uh, are trying to do. Um, but there are other funds that are also looking at the Philippines or are already very active in the Philippines. So that means as an entrepreneur, you can come up with a great idea. You can access your market. And all you have to do is talk to me or any of my peers. And we will fund you. 
Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the Foxmont story then. Like you are really, you're really making an impact on the scene. I mean, you know, there have been a few others on the scene, of course, and you're not, you're not the first, but you're really making an effort a little bit like a, you know, a Sequoia or A16Z to really do it differently, you know, and, and sort of be seen and felt which I think is fantastic, especially in the early stages of an ecosystem where you want to get that momentum going. So what is the sort of ethos of, of Foxmont then? Right. So, so, so Foxmont is really a, a fund, and, and you hear this all the time from all these other VC funds, but the, the truth of the matter is we are a fund by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. We understand the entrepreneur's problem, especially in the Philippine mindset. I was never a fund manager before this. I was not in finance. I was not in investment banking, right? I came from the ground, right? And, and what do I mean by that? I, you know, I, I, I understand the challenges of building a startup, right? Um, so, so I was actually the first general manager of Grab in the Philippines back in 2012. Um, and, 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 you know, going through that and then watching the rest of the ecosystem, I realized the challenges that needed to be addressed. Um, so, so Foxmont really tries to, you know, invest, um, but it's not like just dumb money, right? We want to, we want to sit with our entrepreneurs. We want to work closely with them. We want to help them with our own experiences. Um, we want to, you know, connect them. We want to create an ethos of collaboration, um, between not only our portfolio companies, but just the greater ecosystem as a whole. We want you know, I, and I'm actually very transparent about this. I want to connect my LPs, my investors, directly to my startups, right? Mm -hmm. 80, 80 or 90% of my, my investors are actually Filipinos that, you know, that have their own companies, have their own conglomerates, whatever it may be. Now, imagine I am playing that middle role where I am introducing these emerging startups to these captains of industry and giving these emerging startups the opportunity to, you know, access their networks, access their capital, access their businesses. That's the what Philippines is very network driven still, isn't it? You need oh, to yeah. know your, your network. Yeah. And if you're coming out and if you're an entrepreneur coming out from like, you know, Camarina Sur, let's say a province of the Philippines, that's quite far away from Manila. It's going to be very hard for you to, you know, to succeed without at least knowing some people, you know what I mean? Like, like having some sort of network that you've built. Um, and, and what Foxmon is trying to do is try to eliminate those, those, you know, invisible borders. We want to be able to immediately connect our entrepreneurs, our startups into the ecosystem. We want, we want, you know, we believe that a rising tide lifts all ships. Again, another cliche that you hear all the time. Um, but in this case, we like to think that Foxmont sometimes is in fact the tide, right? We want to, we want to help. We want to like manually lift everybody if we need to. Mm. And for your investments to be successful, the, the obvious journey for all startups is, you know, once they raise C, then they're on to A, then B. And you mentioned earlier that the bigger blue chip VCs would see you really as a conjurer and uh, as a signaler uh, as well to them. And so do you envisage a future where, you know, you are almost acting as a conduit to the 
the the bigger funders for the next rounds because otherwise you know there's you've got to sort of break down this the void of the sort of thousands of miles of distance between the Philippines and the US or the Philippines and Singapore yeah that's right uh, so actually I believe that Foxmont our fund really has three main roles right so one is of course to drive value to our LPs to our investors because ultimately that's what I am I'm a fund manager and I'm trying to make as informed decisions as possible into great startups, right? That's, that's one. Two is that I need to uh, drive value to my startups, to our portfolio founders. And, and, and we do that with, you know, monthly meetings, you know, check-ins, and, and I'm generally extremely accessible to any of the, you know, founders that want to, you know, just ping ideas through me, right? And then three is actually, um, and I don't know if a lot of other funds see it this way, but for us at Foxmont, we actually see fund relations as an integral part of, of our business activity. We want to actually create and foster these relationships with all these different funds abroad that have different mandates, but have never looked at the Philippines or maybe have just looked at the Philippines in passing. We want to champion Philippine investments and we want them to look at it from perhaps a other funds to look at it from perhaps a different angle that they never looked at before. It's very easy to discount the Philippines as this country that's just not ready yet, quote unquote, for foreign investment. But all I need is like three minutes of somebody's time and focus for them to understand that there's the opportunity here is massive. And so we take a lot of our time at Foxmont to do check-ins with our regional peers in Singapore, with American funds, you know, with German funds, with, you know, Chinese funds. And we actually walk them through various parts of the ecosystem, various industries, various players. Sometimes they're in my portfolio, granted. And, and of course, a lot of that is because I want them to look at my portfolio first. But I also speak about the other parts of the ecosystem that don't necessarily have, you know, that, that Foxmon is not, you know, uh, in. Um, because we do believe that we have to champion the Philippines as well, vis-a-vis -vis fund relations. Yeah, it's exciting, isn't it? And do you, how do you see the external world seeing the Philippines now? There's obviously been investments into uh, Gabby Dizon's, uh, what is it, uh, YYG and uh, uh, Kumu, and, you know, we're seeing a sort of ramp up in terms of the foreign investment. Does that help generally get more interest in the Philippines and more people are sniffing around now? Yeah, for sure. I mean, just, just look at it this way. Last year, uh, the, the entire year 2020, there was $183 million of, of investments, mostly from foreign firms into the Philippines uh, digital ecosystem. Um, and this year in the first uh, two and a half quarters alone, it's already at $435 million, right? So of course, just by that number, you can see that uh, foreign investments are, are are increasing rapidly. I spoke earlier about a um, inflection point, and actually, the inflection point is literally right now. I mean, it's it's today. Um, it, you know, Foxmont as a fund with our fund relations, you know, you know, thesis. I get a lot of phone calls from foreign funds that are like, "Hey, what's going on over there?" It's heating up, isn't it? And it's like, yeah, it's heating up. This is what I've been saying. You know, this is this is this is the digitalization of the Philippines. You know, it's not. We're not going backwards, Derek. We're not gonna. We're not gonna. You know, all of a sudden, 
you know, lose, you know, cell phone towers and, you know, people are not going to spend less on the internet. This is not going to happen. You know, we're not going to have less uh, people in the middle class next year. No, this is, we're all moving forward. So because of that, we are starting to see these large blue chip investors, as previously mentioned, um, coming into the Philippine ecosystem. And by the way, when they're here, it's not like they're going to be like, you know, they're not going to like land here and be like, oh, nice place. I'm out of here. No way. They're going to sit here and they're going to realize the opportunity in a country like this. And, uh, and, and we're going to see a lot more of this. We're going to see billions of dollars coming in to the ecosystem in the next couple of years, for sure. I think the Philippines is coming of age. Like, I think it's great timing for the Philippines, but also another massive lubricant is that there's just so much money washing around out there at the moment and it's reaching kind of fever pitch. And I think, you know, like sort of previous booms, people just become desperate to place money. Maybe not desperate is the right word, but, uh, you know, it's certainly heading to that point where it's just like there's so much cash out there. And then you have the entrance of stuff like SoftBank and Tiger and to a degree Sequoia now, you know, I'm ramping up. Do you, where do you see this playing out? Like, is it, it just seems to be more and more competitive and there's more cash out there. Valuations are getting crazy. It seems to be easier than ever to get funded. Um, is this kind of a boom? Do you think there's going to be a bust or is it heading in the, you know, is it, is it just positive activity? Well, I'm always like, I, you know, I'm, I'm always an optimist. So, you know, I'll, I'll you know, for me, it's, there's always going to be money. Money's always going to flow. And, and the, the question just is, where is the money flowing to? Now, for the last, in, this, in the context of this region, for the last 10 years, the money has always been flowing to Indonesia. And now it's starting to go in different places. Why? Because Indonesia is heating up. You know, in and of itself, it's a very robust market. It even has its own path to exit. You can exit in, at the IDX, as Bukalapak did just a few weeks ago. Um, and so there's a lot of capital there already to be infused back into the ecosystem. But that just means for the Philippines that all that capital that was looking at Indonesia in the past, all of a sudden the Philippines can, look, can, can be a viable option. So, so for me, it's not about, you know, that money running out. It's more about the startups themselves um, performing to the level of the investments that they are receiving. And, and do I believe that the founders and the startups can perform to the level of investments that they're receiving? Hell yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, you know, I think that, you know, Filipinos are strong, smart, definitely smarter than me, and very resilient. Um, and these are qualities that I think were, you know, long overlooked uh, as everybody kind of, you know, you know, fawned over Indonesia for the longest time. Um, but now that, you know, eyes are starting to be in the Philippines, looking at the market, the, the addressable market, you know, is, you know, obviously 112 million Filipinos that are rapidly digitalizing and looking at the strength of the entrepreneurs. I think what you'll see is, is really, um, you know, us going from win to win to win in terms of different uh, startups succeeding. Mm. I see generally, you know, I have incredible confidence in the Philippine economy generally over the next, whatever, 10 to 20 years, as long as, you know, like politics and is, is, is stable and corruption is minimized and the basic infrastructure can be supplied in terms of, you know, reasonable electricity costs, internet uh, transport and traffic congestion. You know, if, if those things 
can be neutralized, then it has a huge, huge potential, doesn't it? Like, I think just the the perfect storm of having young population, um, complete sort of immersion in English and, and Western culture, uh, and then, you know, also this startup culture coming to, to bear. It's, it, it's a powerful, potent mix. Totally agree. I mean, I totally agree. And remember, even infrastructure in and of itself, um, physical infrastructure, highways, roads, a lot of that can actually be bypassed uh, because of our, our, our digital, you know, our, our move to digital, right? Um, so just something interesting for you to ponder upon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it is valuable, isn't it? And so Foxmont is a big proponent of Sinigang Valley as well. Now, what is uh, Sinigang to start off with for those that aren't uh, so familiar with the the food culture? And yeah, Yeah. tell us about the Sinigang Valley. Sinigang Valley is, uh, so so first of all, Sinigang is a traditional Filipino soup, often, you know, eaten family style around a table with you know, all of your friends or family, um, usually on the weekends, Sundays, um, just brings about this great feeling of like community and, and, and family. Um, and Sinigang Valley is really, I would say a grassroots initiative um, to try and create a very collaborative ecosystem um, of startups. Um, like I said before, um, you know, the Philippines often falls into uh, competitiveness versus collaboration. Um, and in this case, this is a really an effort to try to change that and, and really manifests itself in one street in the middle of Manila, um, in the middle of the central business district, um, um, where, you know, Kumu is taking, you know, multiple buildings and office spaces and Foxmon is taking office space and some of our, you know, other, uh, you know, peers, fund peers are taking uh, office space. So the idea is that you can actually just walk um, out of your own startup down the street, you know, see a bunch of other, let's say developers or founders, you know, in the same street and just kind of pass around ideas. And if you have great ideas, you walk into what we call the fund house where all these different funds are waiting to help you, you know, fund your idea. Um, so it is, there's actually a website, sinigangvalley.com for anybody that actually wants to participate or, or be, a, you know, be a part of this great story. Because we believe that um, you know, the success of, again, rising tide lifts all ships uh, and the success of the ecosystem will only, um, will only uh, improve with, with collaboration between our startups. Fantastic to have this overview of the industry and of course i urge anyone to reach out to foxmont for any any reason how can they learn more about you or get in touch yeah so like i said i I think we're probably one of the most accessible uh, funds in the philippines please look for us in linkedin primarily um i pretty much add everybody there um and look for our our you know our company page there myself um but also please visit our website foxmontcapital.com and you can uh, contact us through that as well Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Derek. And thanks to your audience for uh, listening in. That was Franco Verona. He's managing partner at Foxmont Capital Partners. If you're on any of the show notes, as always, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And as always, if you want to ask us anything, then just send us an email to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.